good to see you this morning. We've been in a journey for now for, gosh, a long time. <laughs> Since last September, uh, this is week 29 of the story. Uh, we've got two more weeks to go after this week, and then we'll have completed our, this part of the journey that we're on right now. We began with the process of looking at uh, using a resource called The Story, which helped us to understand the overview of Scripture as a chronological con- uh, uh, Bible that's con- condensed. It's not the whole of Scripture, but it's a large portion of Scripture that we've been reading. Uh, most of you have been reading that every week uh, as you've prepared for this, and so you're looking at that in your small group and, and talking about the same thing. And it's always been a challenge every week from a perspective of being on stage that how do you cover, like, this huge portions of Scripture <laughs> in, in a 30-minute or you know, sometimes a little bit more message uh, uh, each week. And so this week was one of the most challenging because we basically covered a large portion of the New Testament this week. And so uh, how do you do that? Um, but today I want to focus the attention about it. Last week, just to remind you where we ended up with, we've been through all the Old Testament. We've been through uh, the life of Jesus and what he did on the cross and, and what he did at the resurrection. Well, that's all important. And then we came to when he, Jesus left us uh, on, on this earth and, and, he, and he went back to heaven. And, uh, and then we began last week to talk about the church. The church uh, was it's us as people. And we talked about last week, uh, if you were here, just to remind you, if you weren't here, this is what we talked about, that we often, the way we often see church in our culture is not necessarily a biblically balanced or understanding of what the church really is that we see in Scripture. Uh, we talked about that the church is not a movie theater, it's not a place where we are here to entertain you, uh, and we are not the audience here, we are the people who are, uh, the audience is God, and we're here to worship Him. Uh, the church is not a shopping center, it's not a place where you go and you pick and choose the things that you would like for yourself, and it's not about that. It's not about. It's not a restaurant where we come to be served and and waited on. It's it's not a gas station where you come once a week for a fill up, and then go home. and uh, And it's not a fitness center. It's not only for people that uh, just are already fit, just to stay fit. It's a place. Uh, the church really isn't a place at all. We talked about the church is a family. That's the best description of church in Scripture. It's a family. It's a dysfunctional family. It's sometimes, but it is a family. And together with God's help, we talked about last week, we are, what we want to do is to reach out to the world and say that Jesus loves you. And we want to do it in a way, and for some reason, that they will believe us when we say it. It made me think about 11 years ago this week. 11 years ago this week, uh, I had first contact with uh, a group of people that lived in this community. Uh, they were, at that time... Um, a small church of about 100, 120 people, about 120 people when I showed up. And I uh, actually been online and, and done through the whole process of uh, sending my resume over here, along with several other places. And I got a phone call from a guy uh, saying, hey, we like your resume. We'd like to talk to you. And I'm going like, okay, I've heard this before. And I've been through this process for two years, searching where God wanted me to go next. And But as I began to talk to over the next two or three weeks after that in this time of year, 11 years ago, I began to realize that, uh, in a real sense, this was a place that, that I felt at home at, a place where I wanted to be. Because I heard a group of people whose mission, whose passion was to be the church that God wanted, wants us to be. A church that understands that the purpose that we are here for is not us. It's to reach the people in the community that nobody's reaching. That was our purpose. And it, it, what had happened right prior to, I remember this, right prior to this, uh, one of the people that go to church here, uh, a couple that goes to church here who are in the service today, they'd gone out to out to California, visiting relatives, had gone to Saddleback Community Church, and 
uh, Saddleback Valley Community Church, Rick Warren's church, and had actually been impressed with that and, and had come across a book called The Purpose Driven Church. That was before The Purpose Driven Life had even come out. And had bought cases of that, Michael, and uh, came back here and all the leaders in the church, all the leadership had read that book, The Purpose Driven Church. By the way, all of you who are current leaders, admin and leadership team, you have a copy of that in your box. Um, because I thought we need to go back to the basics and go back to where we were, where we started with years ago. Because at that point, what it described to us and what had happened there, and then, and then Purpose Driven Life came out about just about the time I came here, is we realize that the purpose of the church that we talked about last week is to reach the people in the world. Because God, Jesus gave us, the Jesus gave us a, 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 a commission. And, and he says it before he left in Acts 1-8. This is what he said. He said, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. And he said, you will be my witnesses. Where? In Ju- Ju- Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He gave us a purpose. Jesus, when he came, and at Matthew 9-13, he says, I, for I have come... Not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, we understood from day one here at Great Oaks that there's lots and lots of churches that are reaching people that go to church. But we understand in our culture, if we continued to do church the way we'd always done church in our culture, what would happen is we would not reach people because we're losing ground in America in churches. And so we had to ask the question, how can we not compromise the gospel... But how can we be strategic in how we reach people in the community that are unchurched? The target for Great Oaks has always been, and everybody's welcome, but the target for Great Oaks has always been people that are disconnected from God. That have never had a relationship with God or maybe grew up as a young child in the church that have been away for a long time. We're glad you're here if you showed up here, you know, but that's our purpose. Our purpose here is to reach on church. And we've done a pretty good job of that over the years. I look right now at some of the most successful ministries in our church, the most strategic. I look at Wednesday Night Youth Group. I, I, I actually read your Facebook stuff, uh, Chris. Um, Chris, every week after, after uh, Wednesday night, puts on, hey, this is what happened tonight. What I, and then, but there's some people that respond to that. And it was the people that responded to you that I was impressed with because they talked about how right now we have record numbers of kids, over 100 kids, 100 and something, came to Wednesday night to junior high ministry. And, the, and it says that these kids really love coming there and they actually, you know, uh, pushed us to get out the door so they can get there on time. You guys are doing a great job. And the reason you're doing it is because you reach the kids where they are and you make it, you make it encouraging for them, you make it meaningful for them. Uh, Monday nights at uh, Campus Life, over uh, we got kids that come that are not church kids. Matter of fact, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in a long time. It's not just about a bunch of church kids meeting together. Church kids are great, but you, you grow up in a culture in church, the thing, the problem is, is that you don't understand anything outside of the culture. And the people that we're trying to reach, the people that need to be reached, that, that Jesus gave his life for, is all of us, but he gave his life for the people that are disconnected from God. And we need to continue to do that. That's the kind of church we started at. Uh, Tracy and Bill, some of you were on leadership team back then. That was 100 years ago, wasn't it? So uh, <laughs> seems like it sometimes. But that I remember that because that's the thing we've talked about. And Jesus has given us this, 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 this thing to do. But you, when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be my witnesses. God, and keep that in mind today as we talk about the story and where we are today. Um. Boy, this was so tough this week to try to narrow it down, but I did. Um, 
If you look at the book of Acts, it's outlined into three parts, basically. This is what it is. Give me the next slide. Uh, The gospel spreads to Jerusalem in Acts 1 through 7. Uh, In Acts 8 through 12, the gospel spreads to Judea and then Samaria. And then in Acts uh, 13 through 28, the gospel begins to spread throughout the world. And so today, I'm going to kind of start with chapter 13. We're going to look at just one of the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Because once we get into the church being planted, even though Peter and some of the other apostles have been the key people in the scripture up to this point, the Apostle Paul becomes the key person throughout the rest of the New, New Testament other than Jesus Christ. Um, and so as we look at that, we see the Apostle Paul becoming the person that we're going to be talking about. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 13. We're going to look at that a little bit today. But I want to point out some things along the way. Specifically, we're going to look at the ministry of Paul. Uh, and the interesting thing about Paul is Paul was a Jew, but he was sent to the Gentiles. You know, I always think that's interesting. Throughout the story, have we not been surprised at who God uses? I mean, how many times have we said, you know, if I was making the plans for this, I would do this. If I would make it, I would say, you know, if I was going to make plans to, to, to reach Gentiles, who do you think you'd get? A Gentile. If you were going to reach Germans, who would you get? A German. They know the culture. Africans and African. Midwesterners a Virginian. Right? For those of you who don't know, I'm from Virginia. I do talk correctly. Okay. Most of the time. But the issue is is that he's the least likely. And we see that throughout. We've seen that throughout the story. That God takes people who are the least likely. And also the problem of his background. Paul was not necessarily a church person who was going to reach out. He was a very religious person. But he was a persecutor of of. Christians. He was a person who was that people in the church probably were afraid of. So it's probably good to send him away to somewhere else to, to do this. But the thing is, he was a, a dynamic leader. And an interesting thing about Paul, as we see in Scripture and we see throughout the book of Acts and in the New Testament, uh, he went on what we call three missionary journeys. I call them church planting trips. Uh, that's what he did. He planted churches everywhere. And we see Paul establishing at least ten churches, at least ten we know of, um, among non-Jewish believers, he writes 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He had an impact. He was hugely influential. Now, like I said, we don't have time to cover everything he did, but today I just want to look at the first missionary journey, kind of give you a quick idea of what he did. Then I want to talk about some characteristics that we can learn from him that we need to have in our life along the way as we go through our journey, because we may not go where Paul went. Matter of fact, I doubt any of us will go on the same journey. But if you're a believer in Christ, God has placed you in a position where you're going on a journey. You may not go very far. You may go across the street. You may go down the road. You may go to Kentucky. You may go to Guatemala. You may go to, you know, who knows, to to Spain. Wherever God is going to send you. But the issue is, is whether you're on a journey, where you are, God wants you to have certain things in your life. And we see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at that today just for a few moments. And then next week we're going to talk about how to finish well. How to finish well. So, we see the beginning of Paul's missionary's journey mentioned in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. It says this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, that's where they start, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, we read that and we're just kind of gloss over certain things, but this is no small thing. Now, think about this, what they're doing. They're taking the two most dynamic 
and effective communicators in the church. And instead of keeping them there at home in the Jerusalem church, they're going like, hey, guys, our mission is to reach the world. You're our best. We're sending you. Is that the way we normally do it? No. We usually want to be, I don't hate to say the word selfish, but we we usually want to keep the best and the brightest here. I mean, you know, next week, all of our staff, we're we're just going to quit. You're going to send us all off somewhere. Okay, I'm not saying we're the best and the brightest, by the way. Okay, but the issue is, it's like, you know, we raise up somebody and, and we send. And so instead of, you know, the thing is, they were, they did that. That shows the level of commitment that the early church had to carry out the Acts 1-8 mandate. They had this, they sent their best and brightest off. They weren't just focusing on their community, their city. Uh, They were sending off Paul and Barnabas, their two most dynamic church planners and church leaders, because they knew that they needed to send out and and expand the kingdom of God. Now, his first missionary journey, go to the next slide, which is a map. Uh, it kind of like gives you this idea. This is out in the Mediterranean. And I just want to say uh, this really quickly about it. This is just his first journey of three. Okay. <laughs> and basically starts over there in Antioch. You see that way over there on this side up here on this in the right hand corner. I was going to have a pointer and I can't find it. You know, oh, one of those, you know, so if you got one next service, let me borrow it. Um, laser pointer. Uh, Antioch up here in the corner. And then they go down to, down to Cyprus on the island down here in the bottom to a place called Patphos. There they come encounter a, a, a Roman ruler who follows uh, follows Christ at that point. It's a great success there. They leave there. They go up to Pamphylia, which is a place a place called Perga up there. They go to the place in Perga there, and in, and in Perga, um, uh, John Mark leaves them. We don't know why. John Mark was with them on the trip, but later on we understand that was a real that became a point of contention between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, but there, uh, they, they leave there in Perga and they go straight north up into Pisidia, Antioch and in Pisidia, Antioch, that's about a hundred miles, by the way, they did not have a car, no bicycles, no donkeys. They walked a hundred miles. Okay. That's just that little place up there. They walked there. They go to Pisidia, Antioch up there when they're Pisidia, Antioch, uh, uh, Gentiles and Jews respond to the gospel. They head over to Iconium, which is over to, a little bit there to the to the uh, east there, Iconium. Is there an, in Iconium, they spend a considerable amount of time there, but eventually they get pushed out by a bunch of religious Jew, Jewish people who are opposed to what they're saying. They decide to go down to Lystra, which is the next little city down a little bit south of there, to Lystra. It's interesting where they plant a church in Lystra. Lystra was one of the most pagan cities in all the world at that time. I don't know which city in the United States you consider the most pagan city in the United States or the world. But think about it. Some people got in your mind some city right now. That's where they decided to go and plant a church. And they were successful in planting a church there. Uh, they got so successful that, uh, that a Jew, the Jewish mob from up in, from up in um, uh, Iconium just followed them down there, uh, raises up a big ruckus among them, and gets, gets the mob to stone Paul. Okay? Then they go down to Derby, which is down here. Uh, you see where Derby is, D-E-R-B-E. They go to Derby. And where many people respond to the gospel. And then they retrace their steps back through and go back and help those churches that had been started. This was over a period of a couple of years. And they went through this whole process of planting churches. Now, as we study Paul's journeys, what happens is so often we focus on where he went. But I don't want to focus on that today. Because it's not so important about where you go. It's about who you are as you go. That's the important thing. Whatever your journey is, it doesn't matter. God's going to send some of you. I mean, some of you, as you go across the street, that's where God's sending you, to your neighbor. 
It may be, maybe a cat. It may be somewhere. Some of you have lived all over the world. I mean, God may send you somewhere. I say cat is our greatest missionary sending agencies around here. You know, they ship people everywhere. We train them up, but they, and the cat pays for it. You know, <laughs> it's a great strategy. I think it's great. But the issue is, is that um, it, it's important about who you are as you go. And so we want to look at a couple of uh, character qualities of Paul that, that we need to be committed to. Uh, what are some of the things that mark his journey that should mark our journey as well as we go through life? First of all, I found, and one of the biggest ones is commitment. 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 Now, a biblical word for that is faithfulness. Faithfulness. He was hugely faithful to the, to the thing that was going on. See, many of us assume, and I don't know where we get this from, many of us assume that if we are following God on a journey, things will go well. You know, I'm in God's will, so things are going to go smoothly. And all, it's really strange. Often when things are going well, we see that as a sign that God is with us and his hand is on us. And when things aren't going well, we say, well, God has removed his hand. We must not be in God's will. I don't know where we got that. It's surely not in Scripture. Because the issue is, if we look in the life of Paul, Paul was committed to his mission even in the face of opposition and he, in the passage, in this passage, the next passage we're going to look at, he lists all the things that have gone wrong. He kind of gives us an overview of all the stuff that went wrong in his missionary journeys. In 2 Corinthians 11, this is his kind of a list, okay? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and following, says, this is what's happened to him. This is a guy who is in God's will. Does it sound like to you that things are going smoothly? I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. That means without a boat. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. You get the idea? And this is like, this is a guy in the center of God's will. Where do we get the idea if it's, it's not from Scripture? That if you're following God's will, that everything's going to go smoothly. See, so often what happens is we just miss the point. And he, and he says, I've been cold and naked. Matter of fact, in Lystra, that, that one place that we showed up on the board a while ago on his first missionary journey, people tried to kill him by stoning him. And what does he do? It says in Acts 14, go back to Acts again, verse 19 and 20. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Remember those guys followed him down. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now, if that had happened to you, what would you do? Would you head home? You're going like, well, God's not in this, you know. Obviously, God's in it. No, this is not what he does. It says, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, went back into the city. Same city where the same people had just beat the snot out of him. And they go back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They went back into the same place. That's not normally how we respond to people that reject us. Normally we feel rejection and we leave. So what was the thing about Paul here? Why was he so committed? Why was he so faithful to the mission? Why did he remain faithful to it even ahead of his own safety and security? Faithful in spite of opposition. So often we depend upon our talents and our resources to get us through life, right? Well, God gave us those things. But I want to tell you, the people that are most successful in life are the people that stick to something, that are faithful. They're committed to the purpose and the journey along the way, even if it's bumps and there's, there's problems along the road. 
Lots of times we mean to do things. We know we need to do things, but sometimes we don't do them. Moms and dads, let me explain to you something you already know. Parenting is tough, right? Right? Thank you. Okay. I thought maybe y'all had different kids than I did. And it doesn't, it doesn't quit. You don't quit parenting when they leave home. You just deal, deal with it in a different way. Okay? But the issue is this. So often it's easy to be, t- when you're tired, not to do the things, the hard work of parenting, right? And I will tell you, if you don't do the hard work of parenting along the way, you will pay the price. And your kids will too. So do the hard work. Be committed to it. Husbands, fathers, I know when you come home from work, you've worked a long day and you've worked all your hours and you've done everything. You're, you, you have this, you just don't feel like doing anything, but you need to have a commitment to understand something that your family needs your spiritual leadership. One of the great voids in our country today because men are so worn out and so tired from their careers and their focus is they don't give the spiritual leadership to their families they need to. We need to have a commitment to that. We need to stick to it. How do we do it? We're going to talk about that. As followers of Jesus, you know, are we just simply saying, well, I'm committed to, we need to be committed to say this isn't going to be just a gas station here at Great Oaks where we come and fill up and go home and, and we just ignore it the rest of the week. But we are committed every day that we will follow Jesus Christ in a way that requires sacrifice and service. So commitment was a big thing in Paul's life. In the journey, in your journey through life, does commitment, does faithfulness to the task mark your journey? It did in Paul's life, in spite of all the stuff that happened. Second quality that stands out in Paul's journey is joy. Joy. Man, if you just heard all this stuff and he's joyful, how does that happen? Was the guy on drugs? I'm going to mess with you again, Chris, this morning. Chris made a mistake of coming and giving me a perfect sermon illustration this morning. Chris had his wisdom tape taken out a couple days ago. He's on drugs right now. He's kind of loopy. Not totally loopy, just a little bit loopy. But we were talking about that, about drugs and what they do to you. I remember having my wisdom teeth taken out. I floated a foot off the bed for two days. It felt good. I understand why you take drugs now. I wouldn't encourage it because you're also not in the real world while you're doing that. But it's but I understand uh, sometimes why people do that. But no, but but... Paul wasn't on drugs, <laughs> okay? Paul had joy in the midst of all the chaos in his life. And he even wrote about it in 1 Thessalonians 5 where he said, this is the purpose of the Christian life. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He's not saying to ignore all the stuff that's going on to you. He said, if you're, if you're doing what God wants you to do, if you're following God, if you're allowing God's spirit to work in your life, you can have joy. As we go through Acts there and we go through this first missionary journey, um, Paul was in Pisidian Antioch. And and things seemed to be going well. I thought this was a great great thing. In verse 44 it says, On the next Sabbath when he's in Pisidian Antioch, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Can you imagine if everybody, just about everybody in Germantown Hills, and we'll add Metamore in, came at one time, we'd have a big church service. I would consider that a good day. Would you consider it a good day? Yeah. 
I mean, wow, God is blessing. Things are going great. Things seem to be turning around. You know, there's been some conflict, but things are turning around. And then it says this in the very next verse. When the Jews saw the crowds, maybe these are those guys that are troublemakers, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. And then he goes through and tells the story of what happened. Many people believed in Christ, but eventually it says, the next slide, eventually what happens is the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of the high standing and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. They shook off the dust of their feet, warning them, and went to Iconium. Okay, finally, it's just a bunch of stuff going on. But then you see what the very last uh, verse says here. And the disciples were filled. Is that on that slide there? Keep going. Keep going. One more. There we go. And the disciples, at the end of all these things, bad stuff, good stuff, everything's going on, all the circumstances, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you're getting run out of town. And what do you do? You focus on the joy, the part that God, where God's at work in your life. How could Paul do this in his life? Things seemed to go well and then fell apart. See, Paul's joy was not determined by circumstances. So often in life what happens is we say, well, if I'm getting good health and my finances are okay, and if the person I want to win the election won it, and if... if uh, and if my team won, whatever your team is, if all those things happen, that usually determines their joy, right? But that should, for the Christian, that has nothing to do with joy. It has nothing. In Paul's life, joy was not determined by circumstances. Because we see him giving joy, having joyful in, in life, joy in life, regardless of the circumstances. Because jo- Paul's joy was in the Lord, and it was powered by the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. Because remember at Acts 1-8 what it said? It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will empower you to do this. And he said, empower you to stay on mission, to be, to be able to, to do the things you want us to do. See, many of us fake joys like the smiles in a family photo. And if you've ever done a family photo and have a lot of people, kids, you know, and you try to get everybody together and everybody hates it, and you're screaming and squalling and crying, well, maybe not the big ones, no, some of you big guys, you know, but you're, you know, but nobody wants to be there, and you're going like, and whoever's the leader, you know, it's the dad, the mom, whoever, you go like, smile, I'm paying for this. And then finally you get everybody to smile after 47 pictures and digital photography is great now because you can just do bunches of, you know, and finally maybe everybody gets it. And, and then you show that. That's the one picture you show. But then reality, is that the way it really is? No, you faked the smile. You faked the joy. See, so often in life that's what we do. But for Paul, it was real joy. In the midst of all the circumstances and all the junk in his life, he could still have joy. We see another example of joy in Acts chapter 16, verse 22. It says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And they had been, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. All I can say, that is a worst-case scenario for a preacher. 
You know, I never know how people are going to respond to a sermon, but I have never considered the fact that I would be flogged and beaten after a message. Never. So how did Paul respond? Well, in the very next verse, this is what he does. Verse 25. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. You know, Paul looks, looks at Silas and says to him, he says, um, you thinking what I'm thinking? And Silas probably looks at him and goes, exactly, night of praise. I've just been beaten. But that's what they're doing. They're here singing praises. And go, the people in prison are probably go, these guys are nuts. Where does the joy like that come from? Where does it come from? How does that happen? How do you express joy in the midst of opposition? And if we were continuing the journey of Paul, we would trace other qualities of his as well. Love, patience, peace, all these things we will see in his life. We don't have time to do that today, though. But the issue is this. It's easy to study his journey and focus on location, where he went. But what is more important is this. Your journey is not just about where you're going. It's about who you are along the way. See, Paul could have gone anywhere, but he it was what was important and what we learned from him, what applies to us is what he was along the way. He was committed. He was faithful. He was joyful in the midst of all the ups and downs, even in all the, the terrible things that happened to him. See, all of us would love our journeys to be marked by the same things that mark Paul's. But sometimes it seems impossible, doesn't it? You know, when you're going through a tough time, It seems impossible to have any joy. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is kind of like circumstantial. But joy is something that comes from from an inner place where where you're at peace with what's going on in life. How did Paul do it? How did Paul do it? Because he's he's such an incredible guy. That's why. No. Did you know who Paul traveled with? Now, I'm not talking about Paul, uh, Silas, or Barnabas. His constant companion throughout his whole journey was the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just... We just disregard the Holy Spirit in our lives. We just kind of act like he's not even there. And he is a person. He's described in, in personal terms in Scripture. He has characteristics and, he, and, and all those things. See, the Holy Spirit was Paul's constant companion. It was the constant companion of Paul and Peter and the apostles in the book of Acts. It's what allowed them to have this kind of a journey. It is what we read in Acts 1.8 when it says, You will receive power. And when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, it comes on you. you could, you'll have the ability to have all these things that go on. See, the Holy Spirit has always been there in Scripture. Chris pointed that out when he spoke about going back and, and br- the bridge between the Old Testament and the New, that the Holy Spirit has always been there. It's just in the book of Acts he takes center stage. Fifty-seven times in the book of Acts he's mentioned. He's talked about. Because... Because Jesus, you know, before Jesus ascended into heaven, one of the last recorded conversations he had with his followers was recorded in John 14, verse 16 and 17. It says, Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And what he says here, the word another, the word another in this verse here, another advocate, there's two Greek words that mean another. One of them means another of a similar kind. The other word, the one that Paul uses here, means another of the exact kind. He's not saying, he doesn't say, I'm going to send you someone who is kind of like me. He's saying, I'm sending you someone, Jesus is saying, someone who's exactly like me. Jesus is God in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is God in spirit form. 
And then Jesus says this in John 16, a few chapters later. He says, but very truly, I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come. Talk about the Holy Spirit will not come to, to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says that it's better. We're always saying, well, I wish Jesus would walk with me and talk. We even have songs like that. It says stuff like that. But the issue is, Jesus is saying it's better that the Holy Spirit becomes because God with you is good, right? But God in you is better. Because he goes wherever you go. See, Paul would say to us, that is how the journey works. That's how I have all these, that's how I'm able to have commitment and faithfulness in times of this. Because the Holy Spirit lives in me and I allow him to work in my life. Matter of fact, over in Galatians 5, uh, what does Paul say about the fruit of the Spirit? Some of you know what that is. I mean, I'll just, if you don't know, just read Galatians 5. It says that the fruit of the Spirit, the outcome of the Spirit living us in us is Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, all these, all these issues, all these things that we talked about, all the things that we see implemented in, in Paul's life. It is not something from within that it can, we can make happen by being a more determined person. That's not how we make the journey the way that Paul made it. It is from the Spirit. There's a book uh, I read a long while back. A good while back. It's called Into Thin Air. I don't know if you've ever read it or not. It's an interesting book. It's about the 1997 expedition up Mount Everest. The 1997 expedition was a disaster. Uh, amongst many disasters up Mount, of people who try to climb Mount Everest. But there's one story in there that says it's about one of the expedition leaders. His name was Andy Harris. And Andy Harris... Uh, was an expedition leader who decided to stay at the peak a little too long after the other climbers descended. And as he was making his way down by himself later on, he became, he became aware that he was in dire need of oxygen. Because when you go up that high, you have to have oxygen tanks with you to survive because there's not enough up there. And so he radios base camp, and because he knows that he's not going to make it unless he has to get some oxygen... Well, the other climbers who had already left and descended it, they told, say, well, we left him full oxygen tanks with him. They're, they're with his pack. They're with him. He has plenty of oxygen. We knew he needed oxygen. But Andy, he starts saying, no, they're not full. They're empty. And they ask him, have you checked them? He says, no, but I know they're empty. And they began to realize what was happening. He was already oxygen deprived. And because of that, he didn't understand reality. The reality that was right in front of him, that, his, that the thing that he needed, the oxygen that he needed to live was right in front of him, but he would not take it because he just wouldn't believe him. It was to no avail, and he finally died. As I stand here today, I know this, that the Holy Spirit is the oxygen of the Christian life. Maybe a poor illustration, but it's the best I got. It's the oxygen we need. It is what we need to live life. And each day of the journey, wherever God takes you, needs to be filled with the Spirit. And God promises His Spirit once we become a believer in Christ. It's in us. We just have to allow Him to work in our lives. And I can plead with you and try to explain to you that it is immediately available but I know that if you do not have the Spirit and are not filled with Him, you will not realize what you're missing, what you so desperately need to live life. 
In Galatians 5, Paul also says this, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That's how we live and go through our journey with commitment and with joy and with peace and with patience. All the things. God gives us what we need. We just have to access it and let him, let him work in our lives. Where's your journey at? Whatever journey you're on, wherever God's taking you. Because you're all on a journey. See, the journey begins when you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then you're baptized, but it continues each day after that. And Paul would tell us that we need to keep in step with the Spirit while we're on our journey. That's the secret. That's the key. You know, in the, in, in the Bible, uh, the book of Acts, probably in your Bible, is probably called the Acts of the Apostles. But someone has mentioned it really should, it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because when we call it the Acts of the Apostles, it seems like it's something that was in history. But really, when it's called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, it continues on to this day. Because the Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives. Because we are the church, if you're a believer of Christ. And God has us, gives us the same mission that he gave to his early apostles. Where are you in your journey? Are you allowing the Spirit to fill it? If you've never accepted Christ, you don't have access to the Spirit. It's like a wind that moves. You can feel the effects of it, but you can't see it. But it works. And He works in us regularly. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.